Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I am Jeff Ellis. This is Locked On Indians. Should we talk about the quote-unquote breaking news of the day? Uh, Bob Nightingale reporting that the Indians will trade Francisco Lindor before the start of the 2021 season. That goes in the well-no-duh category. I think myself and everyone else who has followed this team in depth and reported on the Indians. I put out a t- tweet from 2018 where I was talking about the inevitable trade that is coming it was not surprising, but it led a lot of people to feel like it was a fire sale, uh, which it's not. So uh, there was also a piece by Joel Sherman, the New York Post, and he has a history of writing pieces that are not about the Indians, but involve the Indians. And he talked about if the Indians traded Jose Ramirez and Carlos Carrasco, could they trade him to Atlanta and get some prospects along with Austin Riley and Endar NCRT to balance some salary? Except for Enciarte makes almost as much as Jose Ramirez. The Indians are trying to cut payroll if they move players. And uh, I don't think they have any interest in moving moving Jose Ramirez uh, at all. And uh, Austin Riley isn't... Austin Riley's at about, I think, close to 500 plate appearances with uh, below average production in the majors so far. He's one of those guys you either loved or disliked in the minors. Really... Uh, polarizing and so far he's looked more like the guy that uh, people like myself were weren't as high on him thought he would be he is the reason Atlanta is considering acquiring a third baseman this offseason is because Austin Riley hasn't been able to nail down that position for them over the last two seasons so it was a ridiculous trade and we'll just comment on it because it was posted but it was totally one of those things where that whole deal was written up with the idea of the Braves with zero thought to the Indians. The Indians aren't trading Jose Ramirez. They still think this is a team that is built to get in the playoffs and see what happens. And Jose Ramirez isn't going anywhere because he's on a sweetheart deal for the Indians. And he's going to be the central player for them offensively for the next few years. In terms of uh, the Atlanta system in general, uh, I talked about Atlanta earlier this week as a team to trade with, with the Indians. If you missed that podcast, basically I highlighted Adam Duvall, who had a really strong bounce back year for them. Someone the Indians could look to acquire, specifically if Atlanta goes out and signs a free agent outfielder. That's about it. The problem with a lot of Atlanta's prospects is they just haven't worked out. Their high-end prospects, uh, pitching-wise, guys like Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, uh, Sean Newcomb, those players have been unable to turn to starters and in Atlanta would need to acquire someone like Carlos Carrasco this offseason because they've been completely unable to develop those starters. And that really limits those players value. Like Kyle Wright does not carry the value of a guy who went fifth overall and was viewed by some people as a top 25 prospect. It makes Atlanta's trade assets kind of low. Even someone like Drew uh, Waters, who a lot of people are very high on his really out of whack walk to strikeout ratio is one of those things that it occasionally works out. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez had a fantastic year with Toronto this year. Brett Phillips had that big home run in the postseason, but he's now on his fourth team because he's never been able to balance it out. So we'll see. Uh, it has been very fun seeing all the articles today about, oh, do the Indians and Mets work? And it's like, if you've been someone who's listened to this podcast at all, uh, Indians, Mets. Uh, I think I did one just you know, this week on the Indians and Mets and how well they fit. So what And there's a world, by the way, where the Indians could trade Lindor, Carrasco, and Austin Hedges all to the Mets in one deal. And you could still make that deal work from the Mets' perspective, where the Mets would trade J.D. Davis, um, Ahmed Rosario, Dom Smith to the Indians, and then the Indians also getting uh, a higher-end prospect from them, like a Matthew Allen or a Josh Wolf. 
Why would that work for both teams? Well, right now, Thomas Nitto is the only uh, catcher on roster for the Mets who's had uh, a significant amount of time. If they acquired Lindor, you could move Jimenez to third, Andres Jimenez. And right now, if you go to the roster resource page, which I have in front of me, their current starting left fielder is Dom Smith, but they have Jeff McNeil listed as a bench bat. That's not the case. Jeff McNeil is one of their better hitters. So if you put him there, you move Jimenez from shortstop to third base and you put Lindor at short and their lineup is still intact. Uh, And they've improved offensively and defensively. They've gotten a star. And this is just for hedges. If you add in Carrasco, I think you're probably asking for Matthew Allen and another piece. But I talked about earlier in the week, it's a team that needs catching and needs pitching and Lindor would make sense. From the Indians' perspective, uh, I mean... If you listen to this podcast again, I'll just reiterate that. You know how much I've been talking about Dom Smith. I think he is an exceptional first baseman who is only going to get better. You basically could get uh, Dom Smith as the new first baseman. J.D. Davis could move out to the outfield. He may not be great there, but as a team that played some of the guys they played in the outfield this year, you could get by with J.D. Davis. Rosario would at least be a solid defender at short, slightly below average bat former top 10 overall prospect in all of baseball by every major scouting service. So there's some talent there to unlock. And Josh Wolf in particular, I mean, Allen is the guy who I rated as the number one uh, prep pitching prospect the year he came out. That was two drafts ago. Uh, electric stuff, electric ability. Josh Wolf was down the, the list, but really good pitchability, uh, good velocity, all the stuff the Indians like in a pitcher. A little bit undersized, but uh, nothing concerning there. And I think there is a logic to all of this for both teams. The Indians would instantly upgrade two positions, downgrade one, but have someone who could step right in while getting an interesting pitching prospect. And for the Mets with their new billionaire owner, they could go out and get uh, arguably the flashiest player possible. And if you go out and you trade for Lindor and you immediately lock him up, you then also get to, if you're the Mets, Imagine a world where they trade for Lindor and then go out and sign uh, DJ LeMahieu. Think about what that says. Uh, isn't that exactly what an extremely rich new owner in New York could love to do and just show off? I know the Mets are paying Cano uh, ungodly amounts of money right now, but he's not very good. <laughs> it's just the bottom line. Cano was uh, by just about every metric. Uh, you know, he rebounded last year. That's not fair. I'm being unfair. He was He was solid a year ago, but especially if, the DH is brought back in in the National League. You can easily move Cano to the DH position and make your team a lot better. Uh, he was actually quite had one of his better seasons in a few years in the shortened season. So uh, I was very unfair there with him. So yeah, 141 uh, runs created plus. He was awesome. Before that, with uh, the Mets, he'd had a 91. He's always been such a good hitter, and he's probably going to be a future Hall of Famer. But at the age of 38, slot him into DH. Uh, sign LeMayhew and let him play second with Lindor at short. Uh, it would be quite a coup for a new owner there in New York. And I know daily listeners must be sick of me talking about the Mets, but Dom Smith, J.D. Davis, you get each of those guys for the next, I believe, four years, and you can just slot them right in, and it helps keep that current core in place. It helps surround the lineup, make the lineup more balanced because you're adding two solid hitters to spaces that were below average production a year ago. And you're just having more players that are far away from free agency. And with the core of pitching, this is a team that is always going to be able to contend. So 
you make a trade like that for with Lindor and Hedges. I think even with Lindor and Hedges, you could try to push to get both of those bats. Maybe not the pitching prospect, but you could probably get both bats and the shortstop uh, with a Lindor Hedges type of package or a Lindor Perez type of package. And that still makes the Indians better by spacing out where their talent is because they had such big gaps in the lineup. Today's podcast is sponsored by Built Bar. Built Bar is what I have for breakfast every day. It is the best tasting bar that I have ever tried. I am someone who is uh, gluten intolerant, and that's what makes this bar even more amazing. I got so sick of chewy bars, bars that felt like I was going to like, you know, just wear away at my jaw trying to eat. This is a great tasting bar, not chewy at all. Fantastic flavors. Get the mix box if you're going to try it. Go to builtballer.com today. Use the promo code locked on and try it out. This is, even if they weren't a sponsor, I'd be sitting there singing the praises of Built Bar. The minute they sent us our free trial box and I started to eat them, our group chat for locked on just blew up about how much we love this product. It is a universally loved product, it is a great product. And when you use that promo code locked on, you're going to get 20% off your order. So go to builtbar.com today. Promo code locked on, get 20% off your order and try the best bar that I have ever had. So yesterday's show, I promised a explanation of how two of the worst, maybe best, depending on how you look at it, uh, pitching trades of all time are connected. And I love following trade trails. That's just something I love to see how everything connects back together. And in particular, you can go back and trace from Bartolo Colon and the Indians Bartolo Colon deal all the way through Chris Archer to the Pirates. Uh, Archer was recently, they, they, he wasn't designated for assignment. They didn't pick up his option this year with the Pirates after he was hurt. And you look at those, those might be two of the worst trades of the last 30 years. They definitely come up in any discussion of that, or again, the best, depending on which team you are. And those trades are connected. So I promised I would go through and do the interconnectivity of these tra trades and also kind of track how they build out from there. So the initial trade is essentially Bartolo Colon goes to the Expos who are trying to get in the postseason. The Indian star of that piece was uh, Brandon Phillips. Grady Sizemore was an interesting player in low A. Cliff Lee was a low ceiling starter. And then you also had Lee Stevens, I believe, was the uh, kind of balancing money coming back to Cleveland in that one. But, you know, your big pieces were Phillips, Sizemore, and Cliff Lee. So, obviously, uh, Lee was here forever. And if you track out his trade, remember, the Bartolo Colon gives the Indians Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee gives the Indians Carlos Carrasco. So they're still getting starts, uh, quality starts off of the Bartolo Colon deal all these years later. Uh, the other parts and pieces in that deal, Jason Donald also came over with Carrasco and Jason Donald was a minor piece, but he was a piece in the Trevor Bauer deal. So even if you're like, well, the primary piece was Shin Chu Chu going out for Bauer, uh, you could still look at Jason Donald as maybe that's what net the Indians Matt Albers, who was a fantastic reliever for them that season. But you could keep following that line, but let's stick with the, the central pieces. So uh, Brandon Phillips comes to Cleveland, very ballyhooed. Uh, it does not work out. There's issues. Uh, it doesn't really get a full opportunity and eventually gets traded to the Reds for Jeff Stevens. Uh, that is the name to remember. Stevens is a reliever. I thought he was eventually going to be part of the Indians bullpen. This is a time when the Indians could not, I mean, we've talked about many times on the show in general, the Indians have been unable to develop 
bullpen uh, arms throughout the past uh, 30 years. The If you missed the show earlier in the year, the fifth highest war by any draft and developed or signed and developed reliever is David Risky, to give you an idea, in the history of the Indians franchise. So not their best area. So they go out and they get Jeff Stevens. Phillips, I believe, had been designated for assignment, so it was not a big return. Stevens increases his value in the Indian system. He slowly rises up, goes from basically a throw-in to a solid prospect in his own right. Uh, it was about this time that the Indians needed a new third baseman, and they decide to go out and uh, acquire Mark DeRosa from the Cubs. And the centerpiece in that deal was one Jeff Stevens. Now, the other pieces in that deal, uh, John Gobb, who I think was out of the University of Minnesota off the top of my head, was like a fourth or fifth round pick. I think he was a lefty. And then the kind of the throw-in piece, the uh, the interesting arm in the low A was Chris Archer. Archer had severe control problems at the time. And I remember writing up that deal of, yeah, it's a great arm, but the odds of it ever working are very, very low. You know, and I'll stand by that assessment. It was, uh, you you have a lot of pitchers like that. And the majority of the time they don't, uh, it doesn't come together. Sinians make that deal. They get Mark DeRosa. We could follow that chain out of trades where DeRosa gets traded to the Cardinals for uh, Jess Todd and Chris Perez. They get some decent performance out of Perez before that falls apart. And that's the end of that trade cycle. But continuing the other way, leaving Cleveland for this, Chris Archer goes, he develops with the Cubs. And then because it's not a direct Indians trade, I can't remember all the parts and pieces, but essentially Matt Garza goes from the Rays to the Cubs and Chris Archer ends up going to Tampa. He had started to pitch in the majors at that part point. He was an interesting arm, develops well in Tampa and signs that fan he has that fantastic contract that at the time, you know, contracts bring incredible value, um, but they almost never seem to end as well as we think they're going to end. Just recent players like that, Jose Quintana, who the Cubs acquired from the White Sox, he was limited to relief roles at points this year. And he was traded for a lot of his value was in his contract. Chris Archer obviously did not get his option picked up. And even the Indians with Brad Hand, that was one of the things that was talked about was that even at 10 million, that's a solid price for a closer. I mean, the Indians paid more for that when they went out and signed Kerry Wood on the open market almost a decade ago. So that's three recent examples of, oh, you think the contract's going to be very valuable, but then in the end, it turns out not quite carrying the value we think it's going to carry. And all three of those pitchers uh, by the end of their contract not being valued anywhere near the same. But in this case, Archer's down there. He has that fantastic contract. The Pirates front office, things are getting a bit uh, shaky there. They had some good year. I mean, they've been one of the worst franchises in all of sport. They were the Cleveland Browns of uh, baseball for a long time there. And they finally turned around and had this very short window. Part of the reason that window was so short was uh, Garrett Cole didn't really become Garrett Cole until he left Pittsburgh. Uh, James Tayon couldn't stay healthy. They just had a lot of small issues like that. And Chris Archer's contract brought a lot of value to Pittsburgh because he was a potential, you know, top 10 in his league pitcher on this great deal. He goes there and does not uh, perform and gets hurt. On the other side of things, uh, Pittsburgh traded out uh, Tyler Glass now and Austin Meadows along with uh, Shane. Was it Shane Ray? Is that the, the pitcher's name? I think so. Shane. Oh, I'm blank. You know, he was. This is one of those things where you think back to uh, top prospects, and I really liked that right-handed pitcher 
out of uh, he was a prep arm who Tampa got. You know, Shane Ray was a football player. Uh, so I'll have to. I'm blanking on it right now. It happens uh, sometimes. I know the Shane part of it's correct, but those pieces go out and. At the time, it's hard to fault Pittsburgh. Again, you're getting a fantastic contract in a small market, which you need. Glasnow's control issues were just unbelievable. I didn't think he was ever going to pull it together. Uh, he had an utterly fantastic year. Tampa's figured out how to maximize him. But he was one of those guys where the value was not in him anymore. People were the explosive stuff. What good is it if he can't keep it in the zone? And Austin Meadows was viewed as mostly a failed prospect at that point in time as well. His stock was way down. So with getting Ray, he, in some regards, was maybe the highest rated piece at the time. And it just happened that Tampa is the machine that they are. They turned Glasnow into an ace. They turned Meadows into an all-star. And they still have, you know, the third piece in that deal. But, yeah, that is kind of a fun thing, a way to track through uh, how the Indians turned or how the Indians, how Bartolo Colon and that trade can net you all the way through, through various stops and starts, but through primary trade pieces, every step of the way nets you the Chris Archer deal more than a decade later. Uh, I always find again, those things absolutely fascinating. It is fun to see what a trade and how it can keep going. And even on the Indian side of things, it's kind of crazy to think, you know, Bartolo Colon gave you Cliff Lee, Cliff Lee gave you Carlos Carrasco and hundreds of starts through that. Like that has just continued to be something that has uh, helped the Cleveland Indians through the entire uh, career of Carrasco and Lee. And if they end up flipping Carrasco in another trade, which again is possible because he's going to have 10, five rights very soon. And he is, if they trade Lindor, he'll be the highest paid Indian. Uh, so it pains me to say it, but Carrasco is a player who will hear his name talked about a lot. But we could see this uh, trade tree continue. So I have been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Locked On Indians podcast. I hope you enjoyed the talk about the Lindor news. I don't really know if it counts as news. I think anyone who uh, knows Cleveland baseball knew that was something to be expected. We talked about it on the video version of this podcast, let alone just the uh, the audio version. We talked about the, the silly Joel Sherman piece. Uh, he's got some great information from time to time, but you see with a lot of big sources, um, Cleveland, just because of their uh, talent, they get used more as trade fodder than actual uh, in-depth thought. And you know, I think he does a great job with what he does, but I think in this case, the Indians are just looked at as fodder. And then we talked about uh, how two of the biggest heists in recent baseball history are weirdly connected and you can track your way through them. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff MLB draft. Uh, and you can find questions. You can ask me questions there for the podcast. You can find out more information and what my takes are on anything that develops with the Indians in terms of transactions over the next couple of weeks. Thank you for listening. Remember to rate and review, download daily. That all helps our numbers. And as always, go Tribe.